Welcome back. This is the Man Catholic Podcast. My name is Steve Priest. I'm Brock Martin. I'm Thomas Wirtz. I'm Trevor Williams, guest hosting this week. We're joined today by Major League pitcher Trevor Williams, pitching this year for the New York Mets. Trevor, thank you for joining us, and we're excited that you're here again. Of course. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad that you guys reviewed my contract for a year. <laughs> <laughs> or one more we're, we're a lot better at negotiating than Major League Baseball, that's for sure. <laughs> You guys have been a little more better paid. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. We are talking about mental toughness today to kick us off. We have a great story presented by Thomas here today. This time. Yeah, if you guys are ever ever travel up in the, the Great Lakes region or there's some parishes around the United States, you've probably you're probably aware of the North American Martyrs, a group of French Jesuits that came over in the 1600s to the Great Lakes region to serve the Native Americans. St. Isaac Jogues is one of the, the more famous, popular saints of that group. And I wanted to talk about one of my favorites, St. John de Brebeuf. He was, uh, again, a French Jesuit that came with a heart for the gospel and a heart for the Native Americans, in particular the Huron tribe. And he was a beast of a man. He was, they say, about 6'4", was a strong, was an ox of a man. And the superior at that time commended St. John for his temperance, for his virtue, for his, his just holiness. And he came to serve these beautiful Huron people that at the time were living sexual depravity. You know, they were, they were very tight-knit, they were family-bonded, but sexual immorality ranked, ranked all over in the Native American culture at that time, and often to the point where they didn't understand a Catholic priest, and they didn't understand their vow of chastity. And the, the Native American women would often throw themselves at the, at the Jesuits in awkward ways. Um, but St. John and his companions just were an amazing witness to faithfulness to the Lord and to the gospel. Um, a man who never was tempted by impurity because he lived up until that point a life of consistent virtue. And his faithfulness was shown in many, many ways. The, the Iroquois at that time were enemies of the Huron tribe, and they also hated the Jesuits. And there were different times when they would threaten the Jesuits, and the Jesuits had to, to leave and go back to France. But they loved these Huron people, and so there was an opportunity where St. John could come back and serve in the Great Lakes region again. And they set up different missions, and we're seeing amazing fruit baptizing these Native Americans, these Hurons. And at one point in time, the Iroquois had, had got to, I believe it was a St. Louis mission, don't quote me on that, but it got to the mission where St. John was. And they captured St. John de Brebeuf. And he began to engage in his martyrdom in this moment. And the Hurons spent, sorry, the Iroquois spent what witnesses say was about four hours of torture. And I want to focus, I mean, every martyrdom is brutal, is gruesome, but I wanted to just call out a few points to St. John de Brebeuf, because again, he lived a heroic life. He gave of himself in a foreign land to foreign people that at first weren't grateful for it, but but he began to see the fruit because of his faithfulness, because of his his ability to, to surrender his life to the Lord and his companions, all the other Jesuits that were with him. In the Iroquois, they captured St. John de Brebeuf, and they began... A brutal torture. They stripped him naked, beat him with clubs, ran him through a gauntlet through the cold weather um, with clubs and sticks and beat him. They bit off his fingernails and then they bit off his fingers. They cut off pieces of his lips and tongue and other pieces of his flesh and began to eat 
parts of his flesh in front of him as he was alive. And at one point they took, they took six burning hot hatchets on a, on a kind of a necklace form. So where three of them were, were burn his chest if he leaned back a little bit. And then when he would lean forward to give himself some reprieve of the burning on his chest, the other three hatchets would burn his back. They took boiling hot water and dumped it on top of him, mocking baptism. Um, at one point, they began to beat him so severely that eventually after those four hours of torture, he did, he did die. And there's more brutal details than I can remember right now. And then once he passed out and died, they cut out his heart and ate his heart. They drank his blood. They gouged out his eyes. They broke his jaw into two pieces. And the, the eyewitnesses would say all the while, St. John, in this four hours of torture, all he would say was Jesus have mercy on them. And it's it's every story of the saints as we've talked about is spectacular mm-hmm. in seeing what God has done in the life of a human being and, and trusting that God can do the same thing in us. But the way St. John lived his life, it was just a dedication, a toughness, right? He was, the 1600s weren't easy. right? And he lived in that time in a foreign land, right? Where there wasn't, there society wasn't built up in any, in any intentional way. And he entered that with a faithfulness, with a dedication, with a resilience. We've talked about resilience before. And then entering into his martyrdom and to suffer like that for hours just shows the kind of capacity he had, the mental toughness he had to enter into that. Hmm. And I think back to, there's a time when, um, when we had a, a new missionary on staff, Anthony Vercoloni. And Anthony was set to go join the Marine Corps. And he did and served four years in the Marines. I think he did two tours in Afghanistan. And I remember talking to Anthony a lot about the Navy SEALs. I just have a, a man crush on Navy SEALs. Just what they can do uh, with their bodies, with their mm-hmm. mind is fascinating. And I, you know, I, I, I mentioned to Anthony, there's no way I could have ever been a SEAL. And he'd always push back on me and say, yeah, I you know it's, it's amazing what our bodies can handle. Um, and that's true. And my, my pushback was him as always, but I don't think mentally I could, I could do that. The, the, the mental toughness of people like Navy SEALs is fascinating to me. And it's one thing that I just, I'm fascinated with. I work with athletes, being a former athlete, I just, I understand the mental game of life. And I look to people like St. John de Brebeuf, to these Navy SEALs and professional athletes. And I'm just in awe at what they can do inside their minds. Thank you, Thomas. That is a story that sends chills down my back that yeah as you said just makes us wonder if we were in that situation how we would respond and i can't imagine and i'm sure there's an infinite amount of times where he practiced and lived out mental toughness before that moment that prepared him for that moment and as, as we're sitting here recording today, it's a Friday in Lent. Uh, I'm living out Exodus 90 as best I can, and so it's a fasting day as well. And all I'm thinking about is a cheeseburger. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure I'm going to make it. You know, and that is how pathetic I am as a human. Uh, that, that here, you know, we, we find ourselves wrestling with two small meals and a normal sized meal sometimes. And... <laughs> And yet he had hatchets constantly burning him and was praising God and forgiving his enemies. What an opportunity we have to live this out. Now, you mentioned the Navy SEALs. There's two stories that come to mind, and I really want to encourage our listeners today to go look up these books. 
One is called Unbroken, a true story about Louis Zamperini and World War II, track star, just a stud of a dude. Yeah, and, Olympic athlete. Yeah, Olympic yep. athlete, went to the Berlin Olympic Games. <laughs> and the, the book opens with him on a raft fighting off sharks. And you, you're, <laughs> right. you're thinking like, what is the rest of this book going to yeah, be about? Right. No, you know? That's true. <laughs> and it goes through ten, like 10 different moments where he just has to live out mental toughness. Like it's beyond physical toughness. Uh, the other story is about Marcus Luttrell, a lone survivor, where uh, <laughs> him and six of his buddies, five or six of his na- fellow Navy SEALs are given a task up in the uh, mountains of Afghanistan, yep. I believe, and they uh, get in a pretty hairy situation. I won't spoil too much of it. There's a movie about it as well. Mark Wahlberg stars That's as true. Marcus Luttrell, and Marcus actually uh, appears in the movie. But he, again, total mental toughness. His entire team dies on mission, on this mission, and he has... That's not a spoiler. It's called Lone Survivor. It's Lone Survivor. So, yeah. so if you were surprised just now... <laughs> uh, it's all about mental toughness. He ends up finding shelter and surviving this crazy ordeal and then comes back to live to tell the story. But there's something about our mind and the toughness that we have the opportunity to pursue beyond just our physical bodies. And I think all of these stories are evidence of that and an example for us. So I I love the fact, again, I mentioned athletes and working with athletes and and understanding so much of the game is mental. And I I was on the phone, Trevor, we were chatting not too long ago. And I was fascinated by you because you're a starting pitcher. And I was just asking, Trevor, what's it, what's the mental piece like? And I, so I'm, I'm so thrilled that you're able to join us on this topic and, and can't wait to hear your thoughts on mental toughness and how as an athlete, you have to have it. And then we can, you know, process that into what does it mean to be a Christian man and how does mental toughness apply to our life as dis- in discipleship? Yeah, hundred percent. I think, um, I think we have to make a distinction though, between my mental toughness on a mound versus the mental toughness of a saint going through martyrdom. <laughs> one is, one is supernatural grace and one, uh, one is, uh, I just happen to uh, be really good at staying on task. Uh, true. <laughs> I think, I think we have to, we have to make a distinction where, um, now we can't say that they are similar and they have similar thoughts because one follows another, right? Why does why does someone become martyred? Because they know that heaven is real, that Jesus died for us, and they know that that is the truth and the absolute truth. Why does a pitcher or an athlete have mental toughness? Because they want to win the championship and they want to do everything they can to win the championship and help the team win the championship. So I think when there's when there's an ultimate goal involved, I think mental toughness and mental strength and mental conditioning take that to the next level where you can stay focused on your one goal. Um, now, if I was being tortured on the mound, like sometimes when I give up a lot of runs, I get tortured. <laughs> tortured you know, like you, I would get off the mound because at the end of the day, pitching isn't going to get me to heaven. Okay, but if I'm being martyred for my faith and my beliefs and for our church, then I like to think that I would stay and say, yes, I believe in God. Um, but in terms of mental toughness in sport, um, something that has always resonated with me and it was talked, it was told to me when I was, when I was young in my career is, um, is one question. And this is one question you can ask yourself if you're an athlete, um, to see if you have this mindset or not. 
the one question is, do you like winning or do you hate losing? Mm. Um, and if you reflect on that for a little bit and really like piece it together, you go, well, everyone likes to win. Right. If you were to survey 100 people and say, do you like winning? I think 100 people will say, yes, I like winning. 100%. I have some like Gen Z guys that are taking the, 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 the <laughs> survey just to be funny. They might say, no, just to skew the numbers a little bit. But I think if you surveyed 100 people, they're going to say, yes, I like winning. Now, if you were to survey 100 people and say, do you hate losing? I think the vast majority is going to be, ah, I don't really care if I lose or not. And I think that question alone will serve, if you have, it will serve and help you know if that athlete has has the edge factor or not. Um, mental toughness, I think, is something that you can train. I think there are ways, and there's ways that you can do to train um, mental conditioning, like with self-talk, with um, positive thinking. Right, right. Um, how you say certain things, like instead of, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to throw a slider out of the zone, my thought process is miss out of the zone instead of don't miss over the plate. Right? Those, those are two, those are two different thoughts for the same purpose. What I believe, I could be totally wrong. I'm not a sports psychologist, but what I believe is you either have the it factor, the killer instinct, or you don't. Mm. Um, and I think that question, answering that question of do you hate losing or do you like to win, and people that say I hate losing. Those are, those are the athletes 99 out of 100 times that I want on my team just because they're going to do everything that they can to achieve their goals. So, Trevor, you mentioned the difference between wanting to win and hating to lose, and I don't, I don't know how accurate it is, but I love the movie Moneyball, and Billy Bean as a manager in there has that quote at some point where he says, I hate losing. I hate losing more than I want to win. And... A lot of me reflects in that. You, you were talking to the athletes out there, and I'm one of them. I play beer league softball every summer for men over 40, and we're pretty competitive. And I hate losing in beer league soft. Like, I hate it. When we win, it's like, okay, job accomplished. Like, job well done. Go home and think about what you could have done better. When we lose, it's like this. I hate this feeling. Um, I So we talked earlier about mental toughness and with the the incredible saint story and how the small opportunities we have will help us prepare for the big ones as a professional athlete beyond just being on the mound what were some of the instances that you had the opportunity to live out mental toughness before you got there before you before you became a professional athlete so the times where you decided to work out instead of eat Cheetos and play video games, you know, for example, like what are some of the smaller uh, quote, smaller, um, opportunities you had to live out mental toughness that helped prepare you for the moment to stand on the mound facing a major league baseball player. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting question because everyone is motivated differently. Um, everyone has different motivations, whether it's, um, monetary, whether it's for glory or whether it's to, to um, help certain people out. For me, fear has always been a, a motivating factor for me. Fear in terms of like, uh, if you don't do this, then this isn't going to happen. And for me, the fear of not being able to provide for my family was a motivating factor. Mm-hmm. Um, in college, it was something that, you know, if you don't do this, what are you going to do after your college career? Because you're not taking school as serious as you should because you're here to play baseball. <laughs> so, there, so there's that there's motivating fear of um, 
if this is truly what you want, and this is what God is allowing to happen in your life from at that point of my baseball career, then how am I going to accept that? And how am I going to do everything in my power to be the best version of myself that God has allowed me to be? So um, fear is a motivating factor. Um, I mean, I was a kid in college, right? I, I, I did want to want to wake up later I did want to stay up late but it was something that um, when I had teammates that wanted the same goal as I did it was easier to get up with them um, it's hard to do it solo but when you have people around you that want the same end goal for you it helps a lot um, and I think you'd even take that into your your spiritual walk um, if you have if you're surrounded by like-minded people that want to help you get to heaven you know living a virtuous life it's going to be easier. It's going to be intrinsically easier because you have people around you supporting you. Um, you have people that will sharpen you, that will want you the best version of yourself so that you can um, you know, achieve virtue and go to heaven with them. Um, but that's something that that's something for me um, helped me on my walk with my mental, um, with my mental conditioning. Trevor, that, that's so awesome to hear. And I, I just think for all of us guys to be able to listen to a man who has to live on that stage day in and day out. And, you know, I think of just a transition here, you know, St. Paul talks about what, what people are willing to do for the perishable crown. And obviously you're working your tail off to, to chase that trophy. Um, but let's, let's relate this to the spiritual life and what, you know, if, if you hate losing, or I think everybody listening to this can listen to you talk about the difference between loving, winning and hating losing. And I think for us men, there's a natural pull in the heart to be like, yeah, I, I want, I want that mentality. I want to have that killer instinct, yep. um, you know, in the, in the natural world. But I think let's, let's transition this into the spiritual life and like mental toughness. How do you, how do you develop that, um, that it factor? How do you develop that? Not, I just, I don't want to lose in the monopoly game or lose the baseball game or give up a lot of runs, but I actually don't want to sin. I don't, I, with every fiber of my body, I, in my being, I don't want to offend God and that's just, you know, even the holiest people in the world are going to still struggle with with that reality at some point. But I'd love just to, to dive into that connection of that grind of hating to lose. How can we transition that into hating to sin? Sure. I think, like like I said earlier, like, what is the end goal as a Christian? Right? What's the end goal? Uh, it's achieving holiness, achieving sainthood, and getting to heaven. Hmm. Right? So if you work backwards, and how do you do that? How do you, how do you achieve sainthood? Um, well, you can sin less. That, that always, that's always good. Um, you can sin less and do as Jesus taught, right? Do as Jesus did. And I think we can become frustrated with ourselves if we, you know, you, you go to confession with the same sin and you continue to, and it's, and it's good. It's a grace. That's why confession is there, so you can confess that sin. But if you, if, if you get to the point where you, you hate confessing this sin because you hate that sin, then that's a motivating factor to be like, is this is this hindering my ability to get to heaven? Is this hindering my ability for God to, for God to to be help me be the best version of myself possible and be the best version that He wants me to be? Yes, hate that, hate that, and never want to do it again. Just as like, if I keep if I keep making the same mistake on the mound and it's hindering my ability to be the best pitcher possible, which is hindering my ability to be the best teammate possible, which is hindering the team's ability to win the championship, then you should hate that. Yeah. Um, and with sin, we are taught that you should hate sin no matter, no matter how big or small. And it's easy to hate murder. It's easy to hate um, 
crimes against humanity. Hmm. Is it is it easy to hate lying? Is it easy to hate fibbing hmm. certain things? Is it easy to hate gossip? That is that is harder to that is harder to tell yourself. And I think it comes living a life of virtue to where you to where you can hate that sin more and and understand that and help others hate that sin as well. Amen. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think so. A couple of things that you've mentioned that I really want to—I I don't know—flesh out a little bit more I, would be finding the bigger yes. So you just mentioned, you know, in that grind, you're on the mound. It's those bigger yeses, the the being a good teammate, chasing the the championship, you know, the World Series title. That those bigger yeses are what motivate you on Monday morning at six a.m. when it's time to go to practice, or at four thirty when you're supposed to go, you know, do X, Y, or Z with your trainer. And I think in the spiritual life, that's true too, right? Like we got to find that bigger yes. I want to be a saint, therefore I'm going to do this smaller thing. I want to be a good husband, therefore I'm going to do this smaller. That, that, I think that helps in the mental toughness. But one thing you mentioned that I really want to draw out for everybody listening today is the importance of brotherhood and having those teammates who are pursuing that same goal with you. You know, I think into my own life, having uh, having brothers who are pursuing the same thing for me make makes me so much stronger than if I was pursuing a goal by myself. And just having that natural accountability, right, of knowing that you've got a teammate, a brother who's going to be doing this and you're invited mm-hmm. and everyone's going to know you didn't show up if you didn't, that that sometimes seems to be enough pressure to get me to do what I'm supposed to do. Uh, so I'd love for, you know, all three of you just to dive into that. Like, how important is it to gather, you know, focus? We talk about gathering the hot coals of a fire together. They'll, they'll stay a lot hotter for a lot longer if they're together. What What's the importance of of having those hot coals and those brothers like for you guys in your lives? Well, not only will they stay hotter, Brock, but they'll actually go out if you pull that hot coal out. So there's there's almost a, not just a helpfulness to it, but a necessity hmm. to to be in a fire with other hot coals or with other coals. And uh, so I have found that accountability, whether it is, hey, uh, let, let's work out together. Hey, let's, uh, do, you know, figure out a prayer you know, accountability or excess 90 excess 90 is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in a group. And for that reason, so I, I have always found peer to peer accountability. And I think in a spiritual, more spiritual term, like brotherhood uh, to be critical as we are chasing after this trophy of, of sainthood that we need teammates, brothers, walking shoulder to shoulder with us to help us reach our goal. Yeah, and I think going back to to Trevor, pitcher, right? And you think of, um, you're on the mound, there's external distractions, the crowd, the the game, the score, whatever. And then the internal distractions, right? The mental game of his own pressures internally, his own self, self-negative talk, all that stuff. You think of the Christian life, you're riddled with similar things, right? Yeah. Like the external temptations, the pressures, the culture saying this, do this, do that. Um, and then the internal struggle, the doubt, the despair, the, um, the, the just this general difficulty of being faithful. And so, yeah, gosh, we, we need people that are next to us that say, pat us on the back and say, I'm here with you. I'm struggling with you. And so I think accountability is huge. I, Steve and I, we, and, and Brian, we did this on one of the, the first podcasts talking about just the accountability group that we're in and just how important that is to get your prayer in don't do stupid things. And just that simple accountability is so motivating because we don't mm-hmm. want to tell each other we screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which gets me back to the point of, I wish I hated sin more than I do. Mm. So that that was my ultimate motivating mm. factor rather mm-hmm. than I don't want to look stupid in front of Steve or Brian. Right, but it's, right. It's order. But, but I love that. And I think we can get there. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, we'll talk about that here in a minute of how can we develop that hatred of sin. Um, but I, it's, you know, Trevor, I'd love your thoughts on this. I was looking at Tim Tebow's book real quick and it came across an adage that we're all probably familiar with. Um, and it's that, that idea that somewhere he is out there right? An opponent. He's training while I'm not. And one day when we meet him, he will win. And that made me think of first Peter five, eight, if you're familiar with this passage guys. And it's, it's where Peter's saying, St. Peter, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that idea, if I'm not training my body and letting God train me for the imperishable crown, the devil is going to destroy me. Oh yeah. Taking that and going back to the story of the saint we heard earlier, like he, you don't just get to that moment accidentally. You don't, like, he's prayed for this and he right, right. knew it was going to happen and has been accepted it. And there is mental toughness in that. There's also supernatural grace and there's also, um, there's also that holiness that comes along with that. Like, mm-hmm. You don't just accidentally make your way to the pitcher's mound in the middle of the World Series. Like, there are checkpoints that you have, there's preparations that you have. Um, just as when you get to the end of your life, if you have a long life, there's 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 moments of grace, there's moments of virtue, there's and then there's moments of where you did fall, but then you got to that moment and you accepted that my God and my Savior, like I'm on, I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to see Him soon. And there's the, you have to train for these moments because you don't know when they're going to come, um, and you just have to always stay ready for that. The best way to do that is to stay ready. It's to pray right. and, it's yep. to, and it's to, uh, to live as best of a virtuous life, life as you can be. So when those moments do come, it's easy to accept the crown of martyrdom, whether white or red. Trevor Williams, thank you for joining us today. We we're talking about mental toughness, and we've already thrown out a lot of practical ways. I just want to summarize a few of them so that we can walk away with some good takeaways. Uh, first of all, find some good accountability. Find some brothers, find some friends, someone that you can have honest conversations with to say, hey, right. I screwed up, uh, but I want to get better, and they also want to get better. you got to find guys who are, who are on the same journey, though not perfect, want to become saints, want to become holy, and get together on a regular basis, whatever that is, and share life and, yep. and the rawness of life together. Um, second of all, beg God to help you hate sin and start acknowledging when you do and when you don't. Um, I think so often we sin because we just don't hate it. We we don't hate to lose like we right, should. Right. Um, our, our focus and our idea is so much on winning, which is great, which is becoming that saint, but but return at least occasionally to that idea of hating sin, hating to lose. My family is going through the Hobbit movies right now and Colby's read the books, my son. And, and so we're looking at, uh, or we're watching these movies and they do a really good job making the orcs look really evil and gross and ugly. And multiple times just last night we were talking about how they look like demons. And Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember one, one of them, oh, you know what? It was when they slayed um, uh, the dragon. Smaug. Smaug, 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 yeah, whatever his name is. And <laughs> and like his agony in this dragon's face, I looked at, at my family and I said, I bet that's what the devil looked like when Christ was, mm, was crucified and won this. Like, 
And so there are movies out there and, and Lord of the Rings is an awesome one that helps us image what sin is and what evil actually like might look like. Right. And, and the demons and the devil look infinitely worse than what we could produce in Hollywood. Right. But it reminds us that evil is there and it's really, really terrible. And what sin does to us too, yeah, right? Yeah. That, yeah. It turns us into the, it could turn us into our souls into something that reflects that. So look at those things, Trevor. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, this is the man Catholic podcast. We are so blessed to have you all here with us. Please subscribe. Please give us a good rating, pass it on to your friends and family, and we'll see you next time. God bless.